We are back for another episode of Bitcoin Magazine Live. It is I, your host Q, coming to you yet again from my mother's basement, and I've been thrown up against the wall. And I'm joined by none other than my co-host P. How goes it in your neck of the woods, P? As always, fantastically. I was just telling you guys, I got a rabbit tractor delivered for a homesteading and stuff. It's going to be great. I'll be talking more about during this episode. We'll probably spend about 90 minutes just talking about that. Um, but more importantly, we're also joined by Adam O, uh, Denver Bitcoin on Twitter, who is a very uh, vociferous miner and all around amazing dude. Adam, uh, give us your intro. Tell us who you are. Tell the people who you are and what you're about. Appreciate it, man. I appreciate the kind words there. No, I'm, I'm a nobody from Colorado with a really loud dog that uh, ultimately found my way into the oil and gas industry. And from there, I found my way into Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining. So hold on, throw some yeah, ads yeah, and throw some it. intro. I'll go, I'll go deal with him. Go for it. Yeah. So Adam and I actually, we got to know each other on Clubhouse and, uh, you know, I can be a, a fairly intense dude myself as all of us can. And Adam was always uh, not only intense, but also extremely articulate about uh, mining, oil and gas issues, uh, the, you know, the tearing apart the sort of the narratives compared to the actual facts. And so, uh, yeah, we, we, uh, we hit it off and have been, you know, hanging out in uh, virtual space on and off ever since, man. So super excited to, to discuss uh, what uh, upstream data is doing, really dive into kind of the mining space from his perspective and hear some of the on the ground issues that um, he and Steven, uh, Steven Barber, are uh, and everybody else on the team are really dealing with. Um, they've kind of got a unique perspective as people who go into, you know, oil and gas fields. Maybe that's the right term, and educate and discuss the issues involved with the actual people who are producing the, you know, or, or uh, mining the oil on the ground. And so, um, I'm super excited to dive into it. As you know, yeah. Say it another way, real quickly, for my fellow bleeding heart liberals, like. The work that they do is genuinely the most important work in Bitcoin and counter FUD. And it's vitally important not only to just understand what they have created, but the opportunities that have since been capitalized on by different oil and gas companies as a result. Like this is our right now. Like I would equate this to being like the best Avenger in fighting against the flood that gets spewed around Bitcoin energy mining. Like I'm a nerd like that. So that's well, I how I equate it. it. <laughs> that, that's, that's really kind. Those are really kind words. Sorry again for the dog, but um, you know, what an intro. It's hard, to, it's hard for me to even follow that. I, what I would say is this is, you know, I was not, I was certainly not an oil and gas maximalist or petroleum maximalist, which I would almost consider myself today, before 2018, uh, before I fell into the oil and gas industry. It was, it was upon working in the oil and gas industry that I began to realize how this industry impacted everything in the world. How you know a slight tick in the crude price, which could have happened because there was an issue down in Texas because some guy got too drunk the night before and he showed up at a well and he caused you know, a pipeline issue and all of a sudden you know, there's massive supply issues. And like, literally this has global implications all because what I realized was this is the foundation of all other industries that, and when you think through it, it's not hard to see, right? When you think through, you know, what, what are the luxuries we have today? Um, and, and how are they enabled? It's really because of electricity. Like electricity is the killer app to 
human flourishing, to, to humans living longer, having higher quality of life, better education, being more efficient, socially more efficient. Um, electricity is the key. And without electricity, without energy, we, we're in the dark ages. We're truly left um, to, to kind of be suckers of time where we can't, we can't really be efficient because we can't scale, right? We, we, you know, just think about trying to travel without petroleum products. We're literally talking like horse and carriage kind of stuff, right? Or maybe, maybe we could talk about a steam engine if you want to go to, if you want to go to coal, but that's still hydrocarbons, right? <laughs> that's still a hydrocarbon. And so like, we're, we're in a place where I think it's time to have an honest conversation about what it means to impact the environment. Let's look at what role petroleum plays in impacting the environment. Because keep in mind, coal, before coal, we used to burn forests, right? Before petroleum, we used to like, we used to go and, and get these, these, certain oils and, and certain biofuels, bioproducts from living organisms rather than from dead hydrocarbons. We used to go get it from whales. Um, like whaling was a huge, a huge aspect of industry. And then we find petroleum and it's, it's a joke, right? It's the cost is a joke. It's, it's an inferior product. And at the end of the day, you have to kill living whales, right? Like we have to, I think it's time just to have an honest conversation. I appreciate the, you know, the, the tip of the cap in terms of fighting the good fight. I think the, the money printer has real is is really incentivized to push kind of a doomsday narrative. Um, and and in my opinion, you know, I think it's a push to try to nationalize energy production because when you nationalize energy production, I mean, then it's kind of over, right? It's similar to like nationalizing housing, right? If you nationalize housing, once you get one generation living under a national housing situation, like it's really hard to reverse that socially. And so, I mean, you need like a legitimate revolution, usually a kinetic revolution. And so, you know, I think it's, it's high time to have the conversation of, Hey, what does it mean to impact the environment negatively? How do we accurately measure that? Because I think carbon dioxide is a bad measurement. And Bitcoin is one of these tools that really helps shine light on, on the dead weight loss that currently exists, right? The bad policies, um, the, the bad, the, the disincentives that shouldn't be there and the incentives that shouldn't be there either. Right. But the subsidization and the dead weight loss that's created Bitcoin helps shine a light because it's this new market that energy producers can just export their energy to without permission. And so anytime there's an arbitrage where, hey, you're only gonna pay me $2 for my natural gas, well, Bitcoin's gonna pay me 14. So I'm gonna push my natural gas over here. So that it's a natural market force that can't be, really can't be fucked with, right? Yeah, we had a conversation with um, Alex Epstein who previously wrote the uh, Moral Case for Fossil Fuels. And uh, what's the title of his new book, Q? Uh, Fossil Future? Future? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very, it was, it was. Uh, I love the moral case for fossil. Get your fuel. copy now. <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, I got, I got moral case for fossil fuels here. This, that, that's a, that's a great point because this was a book that I read that was recommended to me by my boss in the oil and gas industry, and it was enlightening as hell, right? And it was, it was one that was like, wow. It's not that it corrected a bunch of information that I had previously learned. It's that it shed light and corrected a bunch of assumptions I had about information I had previously heard, right? Cause I never really spent the time to look at energy. I never, I mean, I didn't know that Tylenol was a petroleum product. I never considered what it would be like to try to go to the hospital and have that hospital only run by solar panels or wind turbines. Like, do you wanna be in the ICU <laughs> in a hospital that only is only run by wind turbines? I don't um, like these concepts. I just hadn't considered them yet. And because I was living in the oil and gas industry there was really two stark realities that 
that I couldn't ignore and I and I was kind of empowered by, right? I, I was kind of compelled to speak out about, which was, the first was this industry had been vilified. Like the, the person I had in my head, the idea of who it was that was out there, you know, producing crude oil and natural gas was far different than who I, who actually is out there producing crude oil and natural gas. Like these are in many ways, these are legitimate scientists, like geologists. Some of the smartest people in any room on earth are, are these people, right? Mechanical engineers, petroleum engineers. These are, these are not people that, that easily buy bullshit. Um, they run the numbers. These are number runners, right? They're much like Bitcoiners in the way that you tell them something and especially with the internet, they're going to live, you know, lifetime fact check you. And so these, these are really sharp people that I, I think that, I think that they actually think they're doing really, really good for the world. Right. I think that they're actually think that they're providing an incredible service because they are at the end of the day, right. They're, they're helping to power the world. And so their vilification I saw was just ridiculous. Like it was like, okay, these aren't bad people. These aren't like these money hungry, you know, like dudes in suits, like pushing black stuff out of the earth and just getting rich off it. Like that was not, these are, and, and for the most part, these were, they were environmentally steward, stewardly people, right? They, they did not want to destroy the environment. In fact, it was not in their best interest. A lot of times, right? I mean, having bad things happen, having environmental issues when you're, when you're producing oil and gas is a bad thing. It's costly, right? It, it ends up destroying your formation, all that kind of stuff. And so ultimately this is, this was a stark reality that I was like, wait, first of all, this is not a bad industry. This is an industry that allows all these others. People need to know this value. Like, why don't we talk about, we're only talking about maybe the bad. Like it's only a picture of an oil spill in the ocean. It's never like all of the beauty and, and quality of life increases and luxuries that we enjoy today that petroleum and natural gas bring us. So that's kind of what started my, I became a little cynical toward the mainstream narrative against oil and gas, right? I was in the industry and so I had a stake in it. And so when they were attacking the industry, they were now attacking me. And so I felt this desire to try to defend myself. And I realized we had a really good defense. Bitcoin, though, the coolest thing, the part that I like about it the most is I think it actually gives these oil and gas producers a little bit of a, a pop in their step to defend themselves. Because pre-Bitcoin in the oil field, I mean, honestly, pre this last energy bull run, it felt to me like oil and gas producers had submitted to defeat to the ESG, the corporate ESG mob. They had pretty much capitulated. I mean, Exxon is building these offshore wind farms at incredible expense. I mean, I, I don't know how they justify that to their shareholders. It's in my opinion, it's ridiculous. But like now we're starting to see for the first time that I can remember, we're starting to see oil and gas companies come out and say like, hey, like, don't you enjoy using a cell phone? Like that's, that's a product of, of hydrocarbons. Like no data center out there is running on pure green energy, not, not any notable one at least. And so Really, this is this is just about discovering truth and shining light on it. And Bitcoin's a great tool for shining light on truth, right? I mean, look at what it does in the financial sector. Well said, very well said. Yeah, it's the disconnect between reality and how people view the reality of what's happening, especially around energy markets, is just astounding. Um, it's yeah, it's it's enough to make a cynic out of anybody. You know, it's enough to make a cynic, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah the uh, What's that quote? Inside, you know, inside every cynic is a heartbroken idealist. I feel like a heartbroken uh, idealist. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, that's and that's fair because, I mean, it's what what really is the most defeating part of it is to see something that's not the truth, like win the narrative, like win the day. And I think right now, 
it's effectively won the day, right? And what, and what is the narrative? It's, I think it's important to identify it. And in this case, what I'm speaking about is, you know, really the, the foundational concept that consuming energy, right, consuming energy, which is a weird term to me because energy never gets consumed. It just gets transferred, right? It just gets converted into a different form. Um, but consuming energy or electricity is a bad thing, right? Like I think if you walked up to people on the street, nine out of 10, with, if you asked them like, hey, sh should people do their best to, to reduce their power consumption or reduce their energy consumption, people would be like, yeah, they really should. And it's like, like, I would be the one guy that's like, no, like if, if they're willing to pay for the power, like, I don't care. Like it's, you know, it's cheap and abundant power is, is a good thing. When you have cheap and abundant electricity, you have, you have electricity that you can waste innovating. You can, you can actually risk that very low cost. So you can risk trying to innovate. And I mean, Think about the, the amount of hours and dollars that companies like Google and Facebook and stuff spend developing software, right? Well, you can't have software without hardware. Right? You, have, you need hardware to run the software. And the majority of the hardware, it's a very, very, quote unquote, carbon intensive or hydrocarbon intensive process. And so like this 21st Absolutely. century we're in, right? I mean, this 21st century we're in of this inter interconnected world is a product of petroleum and natural gas and coal. Like like what are why are we kidding ourselves um know, you know, without so even strange. discussing the davos people you know without even discussing their hypocrisy yeah i mean it, it goes back to the uh you know people loved and I, I hate this this way of, of approaching the argument because it ultimately in my opinion engages in a way that is that accepts the frame that you should be told how you are allowed to use energy that you have purchased but the cognitive dissonance is just again staggering when, when you tell people like oh hey do you use a clothes dryer do you use a washing machine? Do you use a dishwasher? Because you are wasting yeah. far, far more energy than uh, than wasting, I should say, than Bitcoin yeah. does. But you're not wasting it. You fucking paid for it. You should be allowed to do whatever you want with it. So why I mean, are you suddenly fixated on Bitcoin specifically as a bad thing? And again, this is this is a uh, sort of an orthogonal argument to the one you're making, which is ultimately like energy use is good, right? And of course, as you said, like a lot of these people are actually stewards of the environment, right? It's like we are beholden to maintain this ecosystem that we are part of and that we want to um, that we want to like continue to see flourish. But at the end of the day, you got to choose, as Alex Epstein says, you got to either be pro-human or like anti-human. And it's like that, yeah. those are kind of the two, the two sides of the argument. And, and it's not as simple or it, it isn't the case that if you are pro-human, that means that you are like anti-nature or anti-environment. They, they don't even necessarily need to be in opposition, but people just make it into this thing that it's not. And that, isn't that crazy though, that it's almost a natural, it's almost a natural conclusion that we're parasites on this earth, right? That's kind of the idea, right? So it's like, and that's what I, I you know, I, I did a podcast with, with Lavera a little bit ago. And that was one thing that I, I wanted to stress on there was like, when you claim that energy use is going to extinct the human species inevitably, which is what, you know, ESG is about, right? It's talking about how we're not going to even be able to feed enough, you know, 500,000 people, let alone a million people or let alone 10 billion people in 20 years, or how there's going to be, you know, sea level rises. And it's going to, at the end of the day, it's going to make the habit or the planet uninhabitable for humans, right? So that's when that is the issue and that's the problem you're trying to solve. There are no means that are too atrocious, too abhorrent to justify, right? Like I, and, and the example I made is there are, there are even those out there. And I mean, I could, I could spend 15 minutes on Twitter, you know, finding a relatively mainstream person who would make this argument or who probably has made this argument, which is 
at first, you know, they may not even be willing to admit that a lot of the a lot of the renewable infrastructure. Um, I mean, 100 percent of the renewable infrastructure goes through China. Right. So China has 100 percent stronghold on on the supply chain of, of solar panels and mainly solar panels, but solar panels and batteries. Finally, there was many that were willing to admit that, yes, it looks like there was there was slave labor used in the manufacturing of a lot of these a lot of these panels. Right. There are some that like, you know, there are many that were like, well, that's important. That's unacceptable that, you know, there's that's way too much of a human cost. You know, there's an S and ESG. There's others that would say like, well, if the human species is going to be extinct, like what's a few slaves? <laughs> right. Like that's literally where we're going. What's popular? What's a few, you know, uh, events of population control if we're talking about like saving the human species? And so it really opens a door to some crazy tyranny, some crazy Orwellian like you said, like pretty much giving you a, an allowance, right? A carbon allowance is, is kind of what I see coming. Um, and we see it, we saw it out of Davos where I think it was the, one of the VPs of, uh, of Alibaba was coming out talking about their device that they're producing that allows an individual to, to track their individual uh, carbon emission score or whatever, right? And it goes from like what you eat to where you go, how you travel, where you travel, when you travel, all that, you know? And so- I'm like, I'm wondering if it counts your breaths because every breath I take, I'm exhaling carbon yeah, dioxide. You better believe so, exercise yeah, is I mean, bad, bad for exercises. No, don't you dare get that heart rate up. Don't you dare um, take this well, the, antidepressant and sit on the couch. You know, yeah. I mean, and the crazy thing too, is that like, you know, using our energy efficiently and effectively is a noble goal. And it's something that I, you know, I think we can absolutely aspire to as individuals and yep. as a species, but again, then you get to decide, do you have an Xbox? You're going to have to get rid of that if you want to be a, <laughs> a valid member of society. And, and the other thing you, you touched on this briefly, but the idea of using carbon dioxide as a metric is, as I understand it, and I know, to be honest, I know very little about it, but is fundamentally flawed in many ways, right? There are, I agree. There are, Maybe you can speak to this a little bit more, but there are far more harmful greenhouse, you know, greenhouse gases uh, like methane, which we don't even talk about. And you know, I know it was a, it was a, uh, he's very unpopular in the Bitcoin community, but you know, Kevin O'Leary was talking about it, Bitcoin twenty twenty two, the idea that um, that companies that are trying to use carbon credits, which the idea behind is absurd on its face to me, it's like, oh, you're. First of all, you have to accept the frame that, you know, using carbon is bad, which we're talking about right now. And that's fundamentally flawed. But if you do, then the idea is that like, oh, you can just you can just spend money and like offset the uh, the, you know, the bad the bad that you're doing just by paying money into some random thing. And the point that he was making is like, it's impossible to audit these things effectively. Like there is no real way of saying like, oh, you know, you uh, you put this much carbon dioxide into the environment, but you paid these many dollars and those dollars are then going straight into Elon Musk's pocket. And Elon Musk is a good guy because for whatever fucking reason, <laughs> the solar quote unquote. And so you're right. like, you're, you're, you're a good person now. Like you just, you just patted Elon Musk's pocket. Like, good job, you. I, I think this is what's, see carbon dioxide is a bad measurement, right? I think it's a bad metric. And Beyond that, like, you know, and they're, they're, it's important to, to, to have clear distinctions here, like, and I'll, and I'll speak toward, I'll speak toward carbon dioxide versus methane, right? Like the way I look at it, methane is a bad emission, like to some degree, like it, it's a pollutant to some degree in the sense that you can smell methane, right? I mean, it's highly combustible, but it's odorous. It's awful. Um, it's like what, 75, 85 times heavier than, than uh, CH4, which is, you know, than, or sorry, than carbon dioxide. And so like carbon dioxide is plant food. Right. So like when you if you take 
if you took like a forest right, or a greenhouse and you, if you had identical greenhouses next to each other in the same environment, if you put a natural gas engine into one of those greenhouses and we're running that exhaust, which is carbon dioxide coming out of that engine um, from burning methane, if you were pumping carbon dioxide into, that, into one of those greenhouses, what you would see is increased plant yield, right? It's plant food. Plants take in carbon dioxide, they emit oxygen. It's a beautiful thing. I mean, the Amazon rainforest does it all damn day. Um, it's it's like a significant percentage of the, the oxygen molecules on earth come from the Amazon rainforest and the, the, the thick foliage there. When you have an increase in carbon dioxide, what I think you have is an increase in plant growth and plant yield. Methane's not the same case, right? And so like there are, there are places, Canada's a great example where in the oil and gas industry, producers are able to vent even, not, not even flare, but just vent, right? Just spew CH4 methane into the air, into the atmosphere, as so long as they're venting less than 50,000 cubic feet a day, which is a significant amount. You could power about a 150 kilowatt engine, which would be able to hold, um, you know, 45 new gen miners. So you could plug in 45 um, S19s, right, onto this thing. And so uh, up with, with, if you had 50,000 cubic feet a day. Well, if they're venting that, they're, that's an allowable amount to vent in certain places where there's no infrastructure for them to do so, right? They have no other option. They don't necessarily penalize them for that. It goes against their, their carbon score, um, their, their, their carbon profile, if you will. But if you set an engine there and you begin combusting the methane internally, well, the government shows up and says, well, hey, look, that's an engine. That's a carbon dioxide. That's carbon dioxide coming out of there. Well, now we got to start fining you for, for carbon dioxide. And it's like, what the fuck are we talking? Like, this is a disincentive for me to take CH4 and combust it, turning it like very efficiently combust it and turning it into, you know, CO2 and H2O, right? Water and carbon dioxide. And so like, there's a clear disincentive there. So that, that's a stark, it's a stark reality where, where measuring just carbon dioxide is probably, is flawed, right? Is, is objectively flawed because if our goal is to measure negative environmental impact or air emissions impact, well, we've just, we've just, you know, fallen short of, of the goal. And so obviously we need to come up with a new system for measuring that carbon dioxide is not getting us there. And so I'm with you. Like I think carbon sequestration credits without even discussing the amount of fraud in that industry, right? I have a, I have a th thread on Twitter where I just spent, I think I spent like 30 minutes just Googling for people who had actually been like convicted, not just even, you know, accused, but convicted of some type of scam leveraging carbon sequestration credits. And it's to the tunes of billions of dollars. That, that people have been prosecuted and found guilty of. Some of them are just literally manufacture carbon sequestration credits, CSEs out of nowhere. Like they just, they falsify them effectively. I mean, it's a fiat money to some degree. It's a fiat currency. It's a, that's what they did is they, you know, what carbon accounting does is it, it creates a new column in the accounting book, carbon dioxide, and that's got a nominal value to it. And it can offset, you know, real economic loss over here. And so one of two things is going to happen, right? Either we're going to go down this path of tyranny where carbon dioxide accounting is going to become the standard, um, which by the way, it isn't, it's not, it has not always been this way. Like this is very pretty recent stuff. A lot of this air emissions stuff, CO2 stuff is within the last 15 years. And so it's still relatively early. So either we, we continue down this tyranny path of carbon dioxide, or we start, we, we force a more honest conversation. We have to mock this nonsense and, and, come up with a better way to measure what it means to negatively impact the environment because holding each other accountable, you know, I don't think people should run out there and just blow up mountainsides to try to get minerals and things. Like, I think there is a level of accountability and a level of responsibility, but it doesn't look like, you know, checking carbon dioxide box. That's, that's not it. Like a lot of this conversation and one thing that I'm just going to like flatly say, um, but I think we've kind of skirted around this, but the idea that 
all of these rules in place of like how much a company can emit or just the, the process of creating carbon credits to legitimize Tesla and Elon Musk, um, which I fully believe was just an attempt to make the US investment in Tesla like seem better than it actually has been. Um, like these are all just made up arbitrary numbers by the people who do the measuring, do the measuring, are doing the grading and they're grading themselves for the most part. Like, yeah, they're telling companies like do it like this, but they're not like they're not enforcing it to this point where it's like, hey, what did you actually do by in introducing more carbon in the world? Did you just kill more people? Well, what's the repercussion for that? A slap on the wrist fine that's like less than pennies on the dollars you make historically and what you're doing now. So I'm with you guys on the idea that these carbon credits are just completely foolish and, and the way that we approach just this idea of the carbon being introduced in, into the atmosphere we have no sense of what that threshold is and we've moved it enough times to where now it's just like it's yes. crazy you know i mean those are good points and but what's funny is if you, if you go a step further right so say you give them the benefit of the doubt right like, let's say that like let to, to some degree let's say they're right right let's say that carbon dioxide is going to destroy the human species right are we then just going to just capitulate and say, okay, you're right. The only way to solve this is by giving regulators the regulators the power to try to one figure out what perfect atmospheric composition is. Okay, so like, do, can we trust that they even know what a perfect atmosphere would be like? And then two, achieve that atmospheric composition through policy and taxation, right? Like that is an absolute clown show of an idea, in my opinion, right? Not to mention, what is there, 209, 206 sovereign nations in the world, right? We're gonna need a one world government. This is this is a great this is a great reason to get a one world government is because otherwise we're not gonna be able to manage everybody's carbon you know, dioxide accounting. Like we're gonna need a single body to oversee all these countries, supersede these countries for the sake of the human species, right? Like we're gonna need this. That's again, it's it's, all of these points predicate a very horrifying, tyrannical argument, in my opinion. That's what scares me. It scares me that we, I mean, a future where I'm allotted carbon dioxide, you know, credits based upon my virtue score or something of the nature, like that's a, that's a horrifying reality, right? Like that's, that's a reality where I'm like openly fighting against it. And like, I'm rebelling. Um, like I can't, I, I can't tolerate that reality. And so I'd rather prevent it, right? I'd, I'd rather be proactive and try to start having an honest discussion because like, like Alex, I mean, the one thing I really admire about Alex Epstein is he's willing to actually go put on a suit and tie and sit with a lot of these crooks. And he knows they're going to sit there and lie to him and ask him stupid questions and, and, you know, try to undercut any point he makes. And any word slip he has is just, you know, they'll, they'll run with it for, for months. But he actually gets up there and he tries to have an honest conversation with dishonest actors um, because he in hopes that there's an honest audience. And I think in the information age and, in, you know, this information age has really screwed over politicians. The internet, politicians will never be as good as the, at the internet as we are. Like we are way better at using the internet than the generation above us. And the generation below us will probably be better than us to some degree. But the information age is, is it's ours for the keeping, ours for the having, and ours for the using. And they'll never be able to, to really hide information so long as there's a kernel of truth out there. Like people will find it, right? Because people seek out the truth. And so hopefully we can have a winning conversation, right? Hopefully we can talk about what, what's an honest way to talk about impacting the environment. And then beyond that, what I think we're going to find is whether or not 
that conversation gains traction, it's going to be forced to the forefront because oil and gas companies are embracing Bitcoin to the nth degree, right? Like with what you guys tweeted out today about, you know, the Middle East coming in and talking about mining Bitcoin. I mean, those of us like myself in this industry, we've, we've been talking about this for years now. We've been talking about Saudi Arabia. We've talk, talking about the entirety of the Middle East and the opportunity there because everywhere that oil and gas is produced, gas is wasted. It's just a, it's just a fact of the industry. And so there's opportunity and at least they're waking up to it, right? And they're waking up to it in a way where they can, they can be open about it, right? When did you guys hear about that? What, I know you guys kind of broke the story. Did you, uh, is, there, is there an actual uh, article out yet? Uh, there's an article on Bloomberg that we were citing. And that I'm was? sure that, yeah, I'm sure our news team will will end up doing a deeper reporting on it. But just to read the uh, quick little blurb, Oman's sovereign wealth fund took an equity stake in a U.S. firm that helps fossil fuel producers cut flaring by using stranded natural gas to power cryptocurrency mining instead. Geez, I wonder where I've heard of that before. Right. Um, and it's Crusoe Energy Systems that they've of course uh, put an investment in. So I mean. It's interesting too, because I've told this story, like my younger cousin who just graduated from college, like him and I were shooting the shit, talking about some stuff. And I brought up like this process of flaring off excess oil. And I explained like, this was just wasted. Like this was methane going into the atmosphere during this process. But now you have created an incentive for Bitcoin miners to find cheaper alternative energy sources or f come up with new ways to essentially create renewable energy. Like that's in yeah. essence what, what has happened in this process. And there is this huge disconnect, I think, with society thinking that every single energy source that is possible has been created or invented. Because we haven't in our generation really seen innovation go from zero to one. We've seen a lot of innovation in this last century go from one to infinite. You see you see the iPhone, perfect example. That was built off of a touchscreen pad, which was built off of the iPod. Was iOS? Called, but the iPod. Oh, the iPod. No, the <laughs> yeah. iPod, built off the top yeah. of the cell phone, built on top of like your wireless phones, built on top of like your, like this was just iterating over and over this product. And unfortunately, like, dude, the camera I'm talking to you on, the laptop I'm talking to you on, like I'm very hard pressed off the top of my head. Someone throw it in the chat if I'm not thinking of a product in the last, in this millennia, since two, since the year 2000, 2001, has anything really been introduced to us that wasn't just a reiteration or an improvement on something that was previously invented or created? It was Bitcoin. <laughs> okay, fine. I'm going to say, he's Bitcoin, You understand the point I'm trying to make is like, that's why no, it's no, you're right. so and hard for most people to understand or grasp Bitcoin. Because we, for a generation, for multiple generations now, have not seen the process of zero to one really come to fruition. Uh, I don't know, man. I think I don't think that's true. I think there's a lot of inventions. The internet, for one, the personal computer. I mean, internet I th and Bitcoin, I think, are are there, right? I mean, personal computer. It's like I mean, that's the microchip, though, in a way. Like, personal computer was an innovation, you know, like almost in a way, um, kind of like what you said, built on top. Like, what's interesting about power generation and energy production, though, is that. God, we have squeezed so much. I mean, because there's already been such an insane driving incentive force to create cheaper, more economic energy without using government dollars. Like there has been an incredible amount of, you know, innovation. All, I mean, and I don't know if there's been much innovation on things like the internal combustion engine, right? Where like internal combustion engines are incredibly efficient, um, relative, I mean, especially for their costs when you look at the economics of it. And so what I think, what 
the Trojan horse, I think, in terms of power incentives, energy incentives is, you know, on a really long term horizon, I think nuclear, right? I think that if we're in a world where Bitcoin is valuable enough that, you know, it's like, where can I get that marginal better energy? I mean, nuclear is unbelievably economic on a long time horizon. However, you can't really, you certainly can't erect and and dis- deploy nuclear, you know, small modular reactors without really abundant and economic oil and natural gas, right? Like if you don't have a robust petroleum industry globally, you're not going to have a robust nuclear, you know, industry. Like it's, it's one happens before the other one really provides for the other same thing with, I mean, I talk about this with wind turbines and solar panels. Like I think solar panels are actually pretty awesome at, in terms of a sovereign way to produce power. I don't think they're saving the human species. I certainly don't think that they're car- more efficient from a carbon standpoint. I think that, you know, has, so there's a lot to be argued there, but they're awesome in terms of sovereign power generation, right? Where I don't have to rely on a third party to generate some electricity. I can grab it from this giant nuclear reactor in the sky known as the sun. And it's awesome. Um, so don't get me wrong. Like I, I think that there's definitely a value proposition there and, and something that's really empowering to individuals, but it's a petroleum product. I mean, you can't, you can't produce a solar panel. There's certainly not a photovoltaic solar panel without petroleum. And you, Wind turbines are, I'm not really sure they ever have a place, but those are, that's a epoxy resin. I mean, there's lubricants and steel, like it's all petroleum. And so you cannot, you can't get rid of petroleum and hope to still have all this left over when it's, it's made from petroleum. So that's like kind of one of these, these fallacies where it seems to me that it's more about, Hey, we want to take over the, the industry, the, the national, you know, nationalized energy production. And then we can, we'll just use enough oil and gas just to make enough wind turbines so that you can have just enough power for your allotment of, you know, carbon, whatever. And it's like the, the, the wealthy will be able to bypass that as they do today, right? Private jets in the EU um, aren't included in the new carbon tax, the new aviation carbon tax, freaking private corporate jets excluded from that. Like what I the know. fuck? Absolute I mean, horseshit. Asinine. I mean, it's like asinine. And then beyond that, we've got, you know, environmentally friendly surface to air missiles coming out of Raytheon. I mean, they literally market. <laughs> they marketed their surface-to-air missiles as as the most environmentally friendly. I know I mean, what the fuck is happening. That's a weapon like, of war. <laughs> like, I know. I feel like. Uh, <laughs> what are we talking about? There are so many. Like, <laughs> there are so many things that I feel like future historians, because of course, like we, future anthropologists, future historians will have, unless there's some, you know, massive apocalypse and like all the information stores get wiped out, we'll have this just treasure trove of insight into how we were thinking, right? Like right now, when we look back Twitter. at, I think it was like Twitter, I mean, Twitter's going to be- Twitter alone. Yeah. yeah it's a heck of an archive. When we look back at like the fall of the Roman empire, right? It was like, you just have these letters from like, you know, across the, uh, the, the empire people being like, Hey, it's weird. There's more bandits these days, but like, everything's good. <laughs> and then you look back and you like, look at it in aggregate and you're like, Oh yeah. Like nobody had any idea what the fuck was going on. Whereas like, and that's like, but, but that's the highest resolution we had. We're like, Oh, we found a yeah. clip pot that was broken. And we are guessing that this person broke it in anger. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like future historians will be able to be like this fucking guy, like look back through like, yeah. a single tweet and be like, it's going to be incredible. No, I know. And I hope they mock us. I hope they oh, mock absolutely. The, I mean, if they don't mock us, then then humanity has failed, right? Like if they don't mock some of the nonsense we're, we're, we're puppeting these days, the mainstream at least, right? What the mainstream word is, is just, it makes me feel like, like embarrassed to be a part of this generation almost because it's like the, we're the first generation of the information age, right? We're the first to grow up pretty much with the internet, right? The consumer internet. I don't know about, you know, I mean, everybody on this call is relatively young, right? So like 
I mean, I, I do remember dial up internet, but not, not too much, um, like a little bit, but really like we're here, we're the first ones that this is going to be recording. And these are the, these are the first boomer, you know, this, this, the, these are the first older generation to ever be around when there was a, um, you know, an archive like the internet with, with all of this misinformation, disinformation, and it's just information, right? It's some of it's bullshit, some of it's not, but we're, you're right. It's, it's going to be, hindsight's going to be really different going forward for humanity. That's a great point. Like just on a, on a real macro level, right? It's, it's too macro for us to almost care because it's outside of our lifetime, but it, it, this is a stark point of change. You know, I talk about that with Bitcoin mining because, I mean, if you think about it, Bitcoin was intended to last a really long time, like, you know, hundreds, if not over, you know, over a thousand years. And the fair and, and not equal, but fair and open distribution of the, the supply of Bitcoin, really, I mean, right, 90x percent, 99% is in the first, like, 25, 30 years of Bitcoin's existence. Like, what a time to be alive. Is you get to we get to be alive during quote unquote like the gold rush of potentially a new monetary standard, a, an unbastardizable monetary standard. One of the one of the things that compelled me to mine Bitcoin was just the fact that I could. That for like when else in history what a novel did concept. you get to go produce a money? Yeah. Like, which right that was like literally like I was like I almost feel I'd be I would absolutely be remiss and. I would, I would have many regrets if I didn't try to produce this new money. What a crazy, you know, kind of Adam, a deal and then learn about again, it. I right? think Jerome Powell is going to get upset and just go start the money. <laughs> if I was Jerome Powell, I'd print some money because you can. It's all about the incentives. One thing that I do want to call out though, is that, you know, we've been ragging on sort of like the insanity of the ESG, uh, not a, apocalypse because that implies that, that it's going to be, it's going to end in tears. And I don't think it will. I think we will triumph. But the ESG, kind of the, yeah, the, the doomsday narrative. Yeah, yeah, yeah the PSYOP. ESG PSYOP. Yeah. I think it's also important to acknowledge, like we all have to hold ourselves accountable for evaluating for for our own critical thinking skills and evaluating the things that we promote and propagate as critically as anything else. There's an amazing article by Shinobi that we just published in Bitcoin Magazine. That's uh, Bitcoin developers have technical expertise that users don't, and it goes through the the. It's fantastic. And it, I think it's so important because in the Bitcoin space, it's, it is easy, honestly, to be very self-righteous and to be like these motherfuckers. But I think we also have to turn the mirror back on ourselves and acknowledge that like we have to hold ourselves accountable for doing the hard work, propagating information that we understand, if not deeply, um, effectively enough that we are confident that it is true and that it is correct. Because I think, especially on Twitter, there's this there's this pattern that has always been there, but it feels like it is more prevalent now of people just sort of like uh, repeating dogma and even like pro-Bitcoin dogma in specific ways. If it's the wrong, if, 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 if there's incorrect information, it can actually be harmful to the ultimate success of Bitcoin. So I'm curious what you think about that, Adam, and whether there's um, there are areas in the, in the oil and gas space where you kind of see a similar thing separate from ESG, but things that are like, they're like good and that they're pro Bitcoin, but they're actually narratives that are dangerous because they're inaccurate or not true or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I think there's I mean, one of them that's kind of strange to me that I get, you know, I usually feel this way if I'm triggered, right. About something. Cause then I'll either, I don't understand something well enough, or I feel like the information's false. Right. So like I'll go dive in. And one of them is, you know, this, one of these one of these narratives that 
I mean, it's, it's about the more about ESG is that Bitcoin will naturally allow renewables to like win the day, right? Because it now like because the thing with the, the thing with, you know, renewables or intermittent power is it's very inefficient, right? Sometimes the wind's blowing when people don't demand power. And when it stops blowing, they need power. And so like there's these these massive spikes and there's a lot of electrical loss um, with both wind and solar. And Bitcoin's a great tool to come in and bring that energy to market when no one wants it and provide it to the people when they want it and have no loss or have less loss. Um, but Bitcoin's an amazing tool. That, that's for all upstream energy production, right? It like benefits all energy production equally where hydroelectric becomes more efficient, oil and gas becomes more efficient. And on an economic basis, like I, I even think there's plenty in the oil and gas industry that are that are ready to go to this, you know, this place where they're they're still afraid to talk about how Bitcoin's going to incentivize more energy production. Like it's going to incentivize well wells to be drilled, right? Where I mean, this is this is one of those things where I when I give criticisms to like the Bitcoin Mining Council um, when they when they produce you know the nominal amount of of energy that Bitcoin is consuming, right? And I'm like, well, that like that that almost indicates that like there is a there is a nominal amount that would be bad, and we're not at that amount yet or something, right? Which I don't I don't I don't subscribe to that. What I subscribe to is you should always try to mitigate waste, right? Waste is a bad thing. Waste should be painful. Waste should be costly. But in a fiat world, we're incentivized to waste. We're incentivized to build products that only last six months and we'll, we'll reiterate and build a newer, cheaper product on better financing next quarter, right? Like we're incentivized to, to be wasteful and to not be very stewardly. And then we turn around and like punish ourselves for being wasteful and not stewardly in, in this carbon scam. So it's like this, it's this weird dichotomy where, where Bitcoin already just out of sheer existence if there's oil and gas producers out there wasting natural gas, flaring natural gas right now that's viable for combustion, there's pain there. There's an opportunity cost there where before there wasn't any opportunity cost. They couldn't get it to market. There was nothing else they could do. Hey, well, we've got good enough financing. Let's just, you know, let's just drill for the oil. We'll blow off the natural gas and we'll we'll flare it, right? Well, now it's like wasting any gas is painful. And so there's this natural incentive where one, oil and gas producers are going to be incentivized to produce more because they're more marginally efficient. But two, there's no regulation that is necessary for better actors. And so there's no reason to, to go harp on oil and gas or like harp on, harp on regulators and be like, hey, you need to you need to be so pro-Bitcoin that you subsidize us for mining Bitcoin, right? Like that we're going to swing the other way where now it's like Bitcoin miners are going to be subsidized by tax dollars. And that's not no longer an efficient market now because it's really not about how economic your power is it's about how good your deal with the government is and so you know that's something that happens a lot of times at scale right with these super giga mega facilities where it's like well they have to get in bed with regulators and so they're gonna get you know they, they talk about the economic pull and they make arguments for maybe going to another town and so then the regulators give them favorable they give them some of the tax dollars and it's it becomes this it, it's gonna it's gonna get chopped right like it, there's gonna become in these forces of inefficiencies onto the bitcoin mining market it's starting to happen but the, the Bitcoin mine market, because it, no one can really puppet string it, nobody can like pause it or say, hey, like, like think about think about when China banned all these miners, right? And the price just absolutely crashed. Hash rate was like on a massive freefall. It's possible that if something like that happens in six or seven years, the government's going to freak out and like try to control the industry, try to prop it up, try to, you know, that would be a time where if there was some type of a council to like say, hey, we need to, hey, we need to slow down or like we need to, we, we need to stop the chain for a second, like that would be the time that there would be 
intervention. And with Bitcoin, we don't want interventionists that way. We want we want a true raw market that's immutable. And so I, I feel we're gonna see we're gonna see oil and gas producers, you know, potentially go the way of of the same kind of the same thing the ESG czars did, right? Where they come in and they get in bed and then they they almost build up these these high entry walls and and keep out any competition just because they want that competitive advantage. They're gonna try to leverage the state to do it. And so what I hope is again, we we don't we check ourselves, right? Like let's be honest. Like, no, this is like we want a better, a better means by which to to measure how we're impacting the environment. And we want regulators to stay out of it because Bitcoin already incentivizes us. It already hurts us if we waste. If we're wasteful, we're going to be financially penalized. Our competitors will beat us. They'll make more money with the same amount of oil and gas than we will. I mean, our days are numbered, right? And so changes the whole mind. Yeah, it's crazy to me. The um, I feel like if you asked the average person like, hey, do we live in a capitalist society? They'd be like, of course, America is like embraces the individual, but that's not actually true, right? Like America was founded on that idea. And I would say was more like that uh, in, you know, relatively recent history, but these days the United States distorts the markets that it uh, participates in. Hmm? It's a corporatist system, not a capitalist. It's corporatist, right? um, It favors large corporations. Well, and specific um, ones. It's like it's you know. It's, I mean, there's ones, the yeah. whole uh, what is it? The uh, oh god, the regulatory revolving door or whatever, where people go from like big business into you know Washington D.C. and then they pass laws that you know affect uh, oh crony crony capitalism. Yeah, and, crony uh, capitalism. Yeah. And uh, what's the other word? The other term is um, it's uh, oh god, it's like socialized. No, no, yeah, they privatize the, the the gains, they socialize the loss. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and it's just so fucked up. I mean, like. You know, as as a, as a random, totally random example, because there's a million examples of this. I mean, the the corn production system in America is insane. Like, you are paid to produce corn that you just do whatever the fuck with, and that's one of the reasons we have so much corn syrup. And and I think yep. that it's so unfortunate because if we didn't have that system, farmers would then have to actually innovate and find crops that were much more interesting or find ways of using those fields to produce energy or to produce food in ways that were more novel and ultimately would make us more robust as a country because we have some of the greatest farmland in the world. And it's, it, it's just very well, unfortunate. Well, not even that. No, they, I mean, I have, so I, I went to college out in, out in Sioux County, uh, Iowa, South Dakota area. And it's, it's dairy country. It's, it's ag country, right? It's soybeans and corn. Um, and you know, I loaded hogs in the morning and stuff, which by the way, hogs are, man, this, what a job. Um, I prefer working in Bitcoin um, to be honest. I've only interacted with like actual like <laughs> hogs, uh, maybe for like a six month period of my life. I had neighbors at a hog farm and they would like pay me when I was in high school to like go take care of them. Did you burn your clothes? Oh yeah, for sure. It was awful. Yeah, but yeah. more than that, the noises they make, man, they were like, okay, look, oh. you just got to be warned. It's going to sound like humans are being tortured alive. Like that's just yeah. what pigs sound like. Like they but just sound feel like-, like a bad person loaded. I mean, it's, you feel like you don't feel good about it. It's like, at least if you have a heart for animals, I have a heart for animals. Like, I, I, yeah, it was, it was awful. like, dude, like I can't. And they, they like scream. It's awful. But anyway, yeah. loading, loading hogs out there. Like I know, I, I know a lot of guys that have a lot of farmland, Um, you know, guys who their parents were farmers, you know, grew up on farms and stuff. And they actually get paid to not plant crop, right? They get paid to sit and have that land just sit dormant 
for the possibility of planting it later. And then they, they say a lot of it's for regenerative, right? To like let the nutrients build back up in the soil and stuff or, or so that they have X amount of idle farmland in the, you know, in the US so that in case of an emergency, they could, you know, come take over your farmland, I guess. So they pay you a, a monthly check, but it's like hefty. Like they pay you more than what you would make for your, with your crop. Right. Because that's, that's kind of the argument. It's like, well, if you're going to make me not plant crop, like I could make, you know, 500 grand this, this summer with my X amount of acres. Like they're like, all right, we'll give you a million. And farmers are like, all right, for not working. All right. And I, <laughs> I guess I'll take, and I still own the land. Okay. Like, um, so that's dead weight loss, right? Like you said, there's, there's many, there's many ancillary reasons, but there's many direct ways we can measure the dead weight loss that that creates. Right. And, and I mean, you could just surely talk about just you know, the idle resource. Um, and then meanwhile, we've got food prices going through the roof and guys are getting paid to sit on their idle farmland. Right. And, and it's, it's, again, it's the government intervention is usually a bad thing. Bitcoin is the greatest thing for shining light on that. Like it's, it's going to, the, the scary thing a little bit is that it's going to really shake up the power game. Okay. Where, I mean, the more I think about this, especially, you know, with, with the black box product at upstream data, which is, you know, the, the backyard, the backyard Bitcoin mining uh, enclosure, like, that's yeah, we, didn't, truly... we didn't even talk about what that is. So the black box is basically, you know, ASICs, yeah. uh, Bitcoin miners, they produce a lot of uh, of heat and they produce, more importantly, a lot of noise. And so it's very difficult or not very difficult. It is a challenge to figure out how to have those in a way that doesn't, uh, you know. Cause issues. Yeah. Exactly. So Yeah, like, like no, I mean, it's it's really like a, you know, those are the two issues, right? Like getting rid of the, the heat and, or, or I guess airflow and then noise. And one of the, Way, one way to like check, to tackle both of those really quickly is to be able to put the ASICs outside, right? If you can like put them in a backyard, like even if they make a little bit of noise, well, then there's nobody there to even hear it, right? Um, but then also like ventilation's not an issue. And so that was really our goal is, hey, like how could we, you know, I, I begged my boss, Steve Barber at, up, at Upstream Data to to build what I call a backyard hash hut for a long time. And, and like, you know, we were too busy with our oil field stuff. He was like, I don't have time to design something that you're the only person who wants this product, you know? Um, and so- like we, it was on the back burner, but then come, you know, come with these new generation machines and honestly the, the earnings there, right? They just, the, the fact that new gen ASICs were earning over 35 cents per kilowatt hour for like 15 months. I mean, they were over 35, 50 months, but they didn't get any lower than like 18 cents for about 15, 16 months, right? So in the United States, average power rates like 13 cents. So the average person could, would, could have been mining for the last, you know, those 15 months and been relatively profitable at, and at times very profitable, um, you know, spend a thousand dollars every month to make four grand in Bitcoin. Like what would you pay for a machine that allowed you to do that? Um, and so these, you know, these ACs got really expensive and stuff. So, but what we did is we, we just wanted to build the, the enclosure that would allow somebody to pretty easily put it in their backyard and not worry about damaging this really expensive computer hardware. And so what I've seen with that and what I've seen with, because that it opens up possibilities now where, where like on a real estate kind of play, right. On a real estate point of view, where, in a, in a means by which to mitigate counterparty risk or even remove counterparty risk, you can invest in a, a you know residential real estate property, even a commercial real estate property. And if you have Bitcoin mining in, in mind, right, if it's a low kilowatt hour jurisdiction, well, now you have a, another tool to leverage, right? You have access to cheap power. Well, a way to leverage that is to mine Bitcoin. And so you have this passive income from this business every month or this, this you know, rental property that you're, you're renting out and maybe the renters don't even know there's two ASICs in the backyard, right? Like maybe you, you tell them powers included, um, you know, things like that. And so these numbers start getting run. And what, what it tells me is that if, you know, you zoom out, you, the United States is going to get arbitraged. Low kilowatt hour jurisdictions are going to come with a premium 
because it's easy to access the Bitcoin network. It's easy to mine, right? It's very low barrier to entry to mine Bitcoin. It's There's no counterparty risk. It's like you're not even selling your electricity to anybody that's just pre-programmed to pay you out. So, you know, we'll see mining hopefully get extremely geographically decentralized and the amount of stakeholders involved in mining will be, you know, ridiculously I put it this way, unenforceable, right? Like mining regulations become unenforceable when you have a million people mining in their homes all across the country, right? It's really tough to to not only regulate that, but to even begin talking about regulating it because it's so pervasive at this point. And so with the black box, hopefully, hopefully we'll see that, right? Hopefully we'll see a bunch of people that like, at, if you have low kilowatt hour power, like my gosh, it's, there's an opportunity on, you know, right in front of you, right? That you have access to. And People are waking up to that, right? Whether it's in the oil field, whether it's at home. And so like maybe maybe what we see is, and I think in the long run, I think we see power costs go up all across the board, right? And then maybe in the mid to short term, like, you know, the next five, six years, like we we see kind of a an abundance of energy production and therefore, you know, an increase in supply and and maybe more competitive prices and things. But I think in the long term, we see more accurate pricing of energy, a more accurate pricing of a kilowatt hour. Because we, because globally it's being arbitrage, and you know energy no longer can kind of be subsidized by fiat money. We get a real what? What is the real value of a kilowatt hour? Like, what would you actually be willing to pay for electricity? Like, what? At what point are you like paying attention to the fact that you're like, you know, leaving your TV on when you go to sleep or something, right? When it's like that, when that little bit of when those just those few kilowatt hours are so expensive that you actually pay attention to the energy you're using, like, what's that number? Um, I think we're going to approach it because if we have a true free energy market, I mean, energy is not easy to produce. It's, it's, it's not easy to distribute. Bitcoin makes it easier, more economic, more predictable, but it doesn't make it easy. And so I think, I think we're on a long-term run for a little bit of a running. Like I'm energy that way, right? Because I think, I think we have subsidized electricity, subsidized energy for so long, people just think like they expect it. They expect cheap electricity. And I. Uh, did we lose Adam? He's no. at like the most inopportune time, <laughs> but this seems like a perfect opportunity for us to quickly remind you. Oh, he's back. But buy your tickets to Bitcoin 2023 tickets go up in price in 10 days. All right, Adam, back to you. You cut out for <laughs> a second. Adam. Yeah, I thought so. I got a, I got a little warning on my, uh, my internet side. Sorry guys. Um, Wait, Okay. I mean, look, they're just trying to shut down your internet because we're talking about too much yeah. very serious stuff. As always, as always. Um, too controversial, is, always. Is that a miner just like stapled to your wall over the, behind you? It is. That's, a, that's did, an ant miner V9. A V9? Yeah. That's, just, uh, it's hanging on. I got these, these kind of like ghost clips. They're good for hanging guns up too, but it actually fit this miner pretty well. And it's the first miner I ever plugged in. I use it. It, it does no four tear hash. Yes, first miner ever plugged in does four tera hash, um, and it pulls a thousand watts. So it's it like pulls the same amount of power as an S nine, but it's about a third as powerful on the on the earnings side. So it's interesting. Like you 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 with free power, this probably isn't worth running. Um, and it's a loud <laughs> son of a bitch. Like it's real loud. Um, and I overpaid for it totally. Uh, I paid like I mean, one dollar was probably too much for it when I bought it. Uh, but I pay I think I paid like a hundred bucks or something for it with a with a PSU. And because I just want to learn what it was like, this was my like, what the hell is Bitcoin mining? I'm going to try this at my house. And the reason Absolutely. I bought the V9 was because Brains wasn't as, um, it wasn't as flushed out, I guess, for the S9 at the time, the, the firmware that helps, you know, kind of control the ASICs uh, wattage. And with, with the S9, you still needed 240 volt circuit. 
right? So like a standard in the US, a standard household would work. The V9 will run on a 110. So you can plug this into any standard outlet. So I was like, oh, I could run that. And I was, you know, living in like a small apartment at the time, right? So like, wait, so wait, like, S- S9s are, t- are 240? Well, with brains, you can get them down to on 110. Oh, I see. Bra- yeah, you can you can clock them down to like 900 watts. And then with a, an APW 3++, you can run them on a 110. Um, you, got it. You probably only can like run one. You can't like plug in two in the same. Got it, got, <laughs> you, got it. Yeah. But yeah, so like that came a little bit later, at least or I wasn't sophisticated enough to even know that, you know, I was still too early. And so when I was in my research and I figured out the V9 could be plugged in, I was like, okay, I'll pay anything for one of those because I can plug it in my house. Um, and so I went on eBay and found one and, um, you know what I still want though? I, I actually bought three of them and I've been scammed three times. <laughs> That's how bad I want one of these. I'm, I'm willing to get scammed three times because they're only like 50 bucks, but for one of those USB miners, those old school Bitcoin USB miners that are like, I want one that's in good condition so bad. I, I can't fucking find them anywhere though. So if you know anybody, let me know. <laughs> Bitcoin Magazine may have one. Bitcoin Magazine might have one in the archives. We, we totally do. We have one sitting in our office. We also have one of those. Um, what was that thing? That company that was like, you're going to have an ASIC in your fucking toaster, which is a cool idea. Oh yeah. Was that, was that CoinMine? It might've been. I, can't, I honestly can't remember. CoinMine really... came out with like the little PlayStation one. Yeah. Like, yeah. It looks dumb. Yeah. That, that, it does. I mean, I, I looked for one of those too, but they were still selling them on the website, but they were like, they wanted like a thousand bucks. And when I was looking, Bitcoin was like eight or nine grand. I was like, no fucking way, man. <laughs> like, no way I'm buying it. Like a $50 USB. Okay. Thousand dollar coin mine. No way. Um, I'm realizing I was like, like, yeah, we have, this, like, locked, for it. we have this locked display case uh, in our office that like, you know, it's sort of like the evolution of miners, you know, it has like a little USB oh, miner, yeah, yeah. has that thing. And then it has like a, you know, Actually, it's not even an evolution of mining. It has like a samurai note or something like that. Anyway, the point is, I'm gonna smash that glass, plug that shit in, <laughs> and you know, yeah. just uh, get that block. Yeah, that's like it's like 50 mega hashes per second sitting there. That's right. Break glass in, in case of emergency or whatever that is. <laughs> the, the glass case is probably worth more than the the little yeah, exactly. miner, but unless exactly. it's to somebody like me, right? The collector, the collector value of it. Like that's, I, I mean, I have these. I I'm, I'll always have a pristine S9. Always. So here's a random idea. So, you know, I've been, um, the Nashville meetup scene is, uh, you know, just straight fire. Awesome. You were there last time I've been, uh, you know, working with, uh, with Odell and Rod and Mills, and, uh, we're going to start doing some workshops over in the the new Bitcoin park, which is amazing. Uh, a PSA. If you are interested in coming to Nashville, make sure you plan it around the Nashville Bitcoin meetup. The content is just straight fire. Anyway. And if you're like, I hey, don't live in Nashville. Go to the August one because I'm going to go in August and I'm saying it's not loud on Bitcoin Magazine because Bitcoin Magazine needs to pay for my flight to Nashville to attend. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that just seems like a no-brainer. But here's my question for you. I have this dream, right? Like, you know, uh, I know I mentioned a lot, but like PlebNet was something a bunch of us got together and we were like, we want to learn we want to learn how a node works together and lightning and it was super fun. I want to be able to do the same thing, but with mining. And I'm like, is there like a warehouse? Can you buy miners like the one you have in your background? that don't make sense economically, but that would be a fantastic learning tool to understand like how pools work. Uh, you know, w- what is the, mo- first of all, is is that a thing or do they just get scrapped immediately and like sent to land, you know, landfill or chopped up or whatever? I'd say, okay, it's a thing for sure. Like you, what you have to find is one of the telegram groups, right? Like, like we, have, I mean, so Steve Barber started a couple of, yeah. of telegram groups like around home mining and like even our, our customer chat. And they are so dense with not only like great resources of people who would, you know, guys that would be like, heck yeah, man, like I'll shoot you my old miner so you can learn. I mean, I did the same thing last year. I sold like 70 what's minor M3s to guys 
Um, and I sold them as cheap as I absolutely could to like cover shipping and, you know, be worth the hours of packing. Yeah. Um, I, I sold for like, you know, this is like the, the, the peak, you know, $60,000 Bitcoin. Um, and I was selling for like 250 bucks or something. Um, awesome. And I've had like three or four of those guys come back to me and they're like, yeah, man, like I started with that M3. And now I'm, I'm like deploying a megawatt out in Pennsylvania. Yeah, like, yeah. Seriously. So like, it's not, not a joke, um, which is really cool. So definitely, you know, you could find those guys. And if you look at it as an educational kind of thing, like you yeah. can probably get a, a minor, like an M3 or one of these for, you know, 200 bucks or something like somebody be willing to, you know, like it's not, if it works, like, you know, they're, they're probably not running it because yeah, of course, <laughs> like, just sitting in a warehouse. Power sense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, what I hope for, what I want to see, because we have, so this is the cool thing about the ASICs, right? Is that we used to have this progression, like you talked about, right? where, where you, and guys used to talk about how you have to always get the newest thing. But we're not we're now at the place where these are the machines of tomorrow. Like we are at the future, in my opinion. Like we're not going to get much more efficient than the S19 at 29 and a half watt per terahash. The the high what makes, like what makes you say that? Because there's the limitations of five nanometer and seven nanometer chip manufacturing. Well, just the limitation, yeah, just diminishing return, right? Like it's yeah. it's so much harder to move from five nanometer to three nanometer. And the return you get, it's like, you know, okay, so what? We're gonna move from 25 to like 19. Like, okay, so that's about what 17% or 20 almost 20%. Like, okay, like. We, we used to jump with ASICs. It used to be like 1,500% or 7,000% increase. Like if it's just a 15% increase in efficiency, I might have 15% cheaper power than you. Like, you know, um, so it, we're, we're, at, we're kind of at the future, right? These, are, these ASICs are very computationally dense and power dense. What I want to see, and I want to be recorded as one of the first people talking about this because I know it's going to happen, is this I is want to see record, somebody- This is the record, so you're good. This is the permanent record, right? I want to I see somebody take an S19 and just take one of the boards out and build an ASIC around it. Holy shit. Like, like, or an S19, just take, or take, effectively take two of the boards out of an S19 and run it with just one board. Because then you have, you have a unit that only pulls as much as a, an S9, like 1,000 watts, but it's doing like 35 terahash. Like that's a home mine, right? And now you only have one board to cool. And so you don't need fans that scream to 7,000 RPM and are super loud. Like if you have oversized fans, they probably are running at 4,000 RPM able to keep that one board cool, right? The only problem is the economics of this, right? That, that you would need three PSUs because you need a PSU for each board. So the economics are a little rough there. Um, but I think if, if we can figure out a way to repurpose S9 PSUs, APWs for something like this, I mean, that's, if you could plug it in, like you could plug in a 110 outlet, a single board that's like as efficient as an S19, it's only pulling 900,000 Watts. Like that could be an amazing space heater um, air cooled would be totally sufficient, even in super hot temperatures. Like you don't even need to talk about immersion and water cooled. And so like, now I think we're at the place where maybe we can start tinkering with the hardware because it's going to last so much longer. Right. Cause we can actually plan for the future. We can repurpose these boards and stuff. Dude, and so fucking you know, love 3d print your own 3d print your own freaking frame, pull the board out. Right. And buy these fans off of Amazon, clip them on and boom, you've got yourself like a single, just as efficient as an S19, but it's like, you know, it's a one third of an S19. I mean, how difficult would that be though? So I know, I know nothing about the, the electronics of uh, an ASIC Tough. miner. Like, like I, I don't, it would be easier with what's minor because right now the new gen what's miners, if you have a bad board in your what's minor, you can pull it out and it'll run with just two boards, right? Like, so it's effectively like you can effectively pull out two boards and just run it with one. Um, now you would want to put something in the place of where those two boards were. So airflow, the airflow yeah. is, yeah, yeah, right. Otherwise least resistance and the, and the, the one board gets too hot. Yeah. But if you, if literally, if you just could, if I could 3D print a dummy what's minor board, like literally, I've got here. I'll show you. I've got one right here. This is a bad. This is a bad M31S board. Wait, wait, we can't see it. Oh, there you go. Yeah, okay. Right. So, like, this just literally, if you think about like the ASIC, 
the way like that's oriented, this just like slides into the what's mine, right? Yep. So if I could just 3D print this just to take up space, so then I could slide it in and take up the space of those others, like I effectively have that. And so now the only issue is I have two boards sitting out and I need PSUs for those and things, right? So then it's like, all right, let's go out and buy a whole bunch of PSUs for cheap, like repurposed ones, used ones. And like, I, I've thought about just trying to make this product because I think on the home mining level, as a space heater, like an S19 is overkill for a lot of people. Like it's way too much heat. Um, this would be like, it'd be an S9 that's as efficient as the new gen stuff. <laughs> now I'm, I'm right. having this whole like elaborate fantasy. <laughs> like it's like, you know, there's like setting like one, two, and three. And it's like, you're like, exactly. oh, I need some more heat in my room. So you're like, you know, it's like you're on one board, you turn it to two, you turn it to three. And it's just like automatically exactly. like, intelligently switches between the various boards. It'd be fucking amazing. Exactly. Like I, and, but, it makes sense for people to actually go out and build that future now because this hardware should hang around, right? So maybe we'll see guys like Crypto Cloaks, you know, come out with a 3D printed freaking shell or something. Uh, maybe we'll see guys try it. I think it's worth the time. I think you, I mean, you could literally come out with the new ASIC and you never even produced a microchip. <laughs> like you never even had the, you never even had to like draw a circuit or manufacture it. You're, you're using Antminer stuff and making it better. Like it's kind of like what Brains does in a way, right? So I think, yeah. I think there's, you know, I think there's opportunity there exciting stuff love it okay q yeah. adam and i have been uh have been going for a while what questions do you have for adam i've been monopolizing Dude, I've this time i've been sitting here learning so much i, I want <laughs> someone like genuinely whoever has an m3 or a shitty miner you're not using shoot me a dm i will buy it off of you i've got my summer project now laid out in front of me you guys just keep talking i'm gonna chime in i'm gonna take the usual <laughs> on this interview and i'm just gonna <laughs> talk about the elephant dick in front of P's face. But sure. actually, we, we learned recently, Adam, that uh, so this is an Electro Voice RE20. It was invented in like the fucking 50s, but it's like that microphone. Yeah, yeah. So everybody it's uses clean. like a, a Shure SM7B, like which is the one that like Q has in his. And I was like, no, I need the old school <laughs> from a gentler <laughs> he just time. Wanted an excuse to say dick from a gentler time, a pre fiat yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I was yeah. recently told by our incredible uh, videographers. Um, Pleb Music and uh, Max, Aaron. no Pleb Aaron. Aaron is Aaron is Aaron is Aaron. Pleb Music is Pleb Music. Anyway, point is they're fucking incredible, and they were like, "Yo, you know that in Germany that microphone is called the Elephant Dick." And I was like, "That seems appropriate. <laughs> it's Elephant Dick colored and it's gigantic. Like you see me this entire time, like trying to figure out like <laughs> you know how to get Wait, it in my mouth." No, okay, two random things. That I do have a question for the two of you. Yeah, did yeah. you know elephants cannot jump? Like I'm yes. surprised. Yeah. I, I just learned this fact. Isn't it like um, cows can't walk downstairs? Can they, not? they can walk. Yeah, they can walk upstairs, but they can't walk down. So like the I whole like high right. school prank is to like get a cow and like put them in like the second story of your high school, and then they have to like get a crane. Yeah, That's yeah, I think I have heard that. And also, <laughs> yeah, ungulates, they're yeah. hoes, man. They're all fucked I up. I like I like Old Faithful. Get two pigs, number one, number three, and they'll never find number two. <laughs> but I'm a simple man with simple pleasures. Yeah. Um, not. Yeah, sorry. Go on. No, no, no. Question? I mean, tr truly off topic until I ask you the on topic question, but maybe we'll dive into this one later. But you guys hear about the uh, radioactive sharks that were found recently? Yeah. Well, so radioactive, I think, is a strong word. Yes, I did look it's, into it's, this. Okay? I'm, I'm being very liberal with the use of radioactive. Yes, yes. Radioactive is strong. It was, they're acidic sharks. They, they're living in a, there was a underwater volcano, right? That oh, I did read about this. Yeah. Super yeah. sulfuric environment. Like literally it's like, like the water is damn near like going to hurt you to the touch. And like, there's For a bunch sure. of super poisonous. Like, yeah. Super poisonous. They saw, they found a bunch of like fish and sharks that are like just hanging out in there. Like, okay. 
So yeah, yeah. Right, I mean, it might as well be radioactive at that point, right? I mean, that's that's like a cockroach with what they're able to live in. Like, I don't, yeah, that makes sense to me. I I'm love. Just, I'm a huge fan of KFC Barstool, and I loved his uh, tinfoil hat theory that this is actually a ploy by the American military to train sharks to combat <laughs> in combat and fight against the Russian dolphins that fight in the Russian Navy. <laughs> Which apparently is also a thing I learned about today. I learned a lot of animal facts this morning. <laughs> today I there's, learned there's apparently a uh, a dolphin maybe for the Russian for the Russian government. Now, dude, there's a yeah, like they're elf, fighting against uh, Ukraine right now. Sea lions. Uh, the United States uses a lot of sea lions because they're extremely intelligent and they're very good at finding things underwater. So we use like sea lions for detecting mines and stuff. You can uh, yeah, really? dolphins. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's, today I learned that though. That's. That's the, I mean, that's, that's real. I will say one thing about learning, learning mining P like you, you mentioned about like, is there a, you know, like Plebnet by the way is awesome. Like I, such a, such an awesome deal. I mean, like that was, I think the amount of people that learned about kind of what Bitcoin is um, from that is probably immeasurable. So like kudos to you guys on that. That was always kick ass. Um, for Bitcoin, what's, what's interesting is like, I think it'd be a little anticlimactic in the sense that like nodes and Bitcoin layer one, layer two is so much more complicated than mining. Like mining, one of the things that like that's so crazy about it is how easy it is. Like like when you, 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 yeah, it might take you 30 minutes or an hour the first time you like set it up. But like the second it's set up, like you're literally sitting there like, okay, I'm done now. Find that Bitcoin, like, do it. Like I literally don't ever have to like log into this thing ever again. Like I, it could unplug and replug 50 times. I never have to do anything. Like it's configured, like. Like it's almost at that point you have to begin understanding the economics. So you start watching the numbers and stuff. So it's a little anticlimactic, but what it does make you realize is how this this Bitcoin thing that we all value for for many reasons, right? There's a ton of people that are going to value it for exactly just this reason. Guys that produce energy, power, electricity. They this is going to become a very common, very it's sexy right now. It'll become very unsexy, you know, in the next five ten years. Like it'll become the standard. Um, if you're generating power and you're not mining Bitcoin, you're you're just being inefficient. Is usually what you know. That'll be the the natural conclusion. And so, then what happens is, you, while the learning about you know actually how to mine maybe a little bit anticlimactic, the part that's tough to shut off, at least you know at least for me, was you know laying in bed at night and realizing that anywhere I could find economic power, I had a massive opportunity on my hands. I had asymmetric information as to monet, you know, how to monetize that. And that's hard to shut it off. Like you start driving down the road and seeing gas stations <laughs> that are like abandoned and you're like, can I drop an ASIC in there? Like, like it's, it starts getting, I love it. It's, it's insidious, right? You're like, so, you're, you're like the guy in the matrix, you know, he's like, I don't even see the code anymore. I just see blonde brunette. You're just like any, yeah, anytime you see an empty outlet, you're like, yo, uh, do you need that outlet? Can I, can I, well, take I, hear, oh, I walk into the grocery store, you know, and they have those heavy, like, like the way that big grocery stores and warehouse buildings the way that like costco the way they heat themselves is they make like a hot air barrier at any opening they're just they they spending a ton of electricity blowing hot hvac on that opening so when you walk in it's like you walk through a blow dryer right like i'm sitting there like why the fuck aren't these people mining i just have a whole bunch of a6 <laughs> just pumping like <laughs> like get rid of your hvac units man like like lumber storage yards yeah. they need really like a lot of hot dry air i'm like why do they have hvac anymore like so like it's just i've gone down that rabbit hole and it's seemingly endless because we are so wasteful with, with it's it's gonna it's so disruptive it's gonna get it's gonna get annoying it's already almost annoying how many places you know mining so, synergizes with i got a i got an annoying question that's like we're gonna detract a little bit for the mining as we wrap up our conversation with you adam because i know you do have yeah, yeah. a part out um 
I want to present a question to you that like it, it's become a topic of conversation I think in my day-to-day -day life too much but it's the 80-20 principle and I'm starting to get to this point where I don't know if the idea that everyone is going to adopt Bitcoin is even like a realistic goal and I think just historically speaking with the 80-20 principle it feels like what will eventually and inevitably happen is there'll be 20% of the population that really understands things like mining to the extent that you do, or just understands like, Ooh, there's a spider next to me and I do not fuck with spiders. <laughs> Sorry, dude. That was, we got, we got to get, we got to get like a, a clip of that. Your eyes, like you like looked in, like your eyes, your yeah. eyes grew. Just out it's of so terror. embarrassing how small it is, but like I, uh, anyways, 80-20 principle, where do you stand on the idea that like everyone needs to understand Bitcoin on a real deep level versus like people just need to know how to use it? Because like, let's be honest, like yeah. most people turn on their car, they don't know how the fuck that happened. That's a great, that's a, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I tweeted about this. I think Michael Saylor said something about this a few days ago and I, I remember retweeting him and I said something like, I said the ratio of people who have heard about Bitcoin to the people who have a what i would call you know a an intimate understanding of bitcoin like that ratio has got to be like one to a hundred thousand like for every hundred thousand people that hear about bitcoin somebody like intimately understands that maybe one to ten thousand i'm not really sure right um like it's it can't be great but put it this way the more people that understand bitcoin then the more people will be inclined to understand money and energy right well what did nikola tesla say right if you if you want to know the secrets of the universe think in terms of frequency energy and vibration right energy frequency and vibration or something like that um like that's the keys to this universe really the way in which not just humans you know society how we operate but really the ticket to understanding true cost is to understand at least a little bit of thermodynamics understand the energy production because the real the, the only energy or the only currency in the universe is energy right we, we have a bunch of things to represent energy uh, proof of work is, you know, Bitcoin is one of those amazing things that it's so tightly correlated to energy that I think it's one of the best representations of energy work exerted. But we have other things like food, like a, a Snickers bar is energy, a gallon of gas is energy. And so, you know, meanwhile, we have tons of pricing nonsense between all of these different types of energy. And it's easy to begin to understand inefficiencies and and you know dead weight loss and things like that when when you think in terms of you know kilojoules when you think in terms of uh what is the raw input here right what is the energy exerted and so the more people that understand bitcoin the better 80 how many people need to understand bitcoin for it to win or for it for bitcoin to be pervasive it's not, i don't even think it's a matter of that it's just a matter of time people will understand people will come to understand it because they're incentivized to come to understand it um because they'll be monetarily incentivized, right? If you, you dangle you dangle value in front of people, enough people are going to come forward, right? And so that's what Bitcoin does. It kind of incentivizes people to learn about money, which one of the one of the most beautiful things about it, because we people don't know about money. I mean, I I have a college degree, and I mean, I understood Keynesian economics really well because it was my degree. But even then, I didn't understand the nonsense that goes on with with the fed and with wall street and with you know bond ratings and all like you don't learn that kind of stuff you have to go out into the world and you have to kind of care to investigate and hopefully bitcoin will be that thing where people say well bitcoin's a scam and when they get enough pushback maybe it's not or they see the price go up and they missed out on the scam well then maybe they'll have to check themselves and be like well hey what did i miss and they'll have to go learn about bitcoin and in learning about bitcoin 
to try to poke holes in Bitcoin, you have to learn about what are we using now? You have to learn about dollars, right? And that that whole educational process, I mean, that's how we become better as a, as a species, as a civilization, as we, we enlighten ourselves, right? Bitcoin's a tool of enlightenment, all right? It's a, it's a signal toward truth. So I, even if it's only 20, I, I, it, that's 20 more than, than I mean, I'm, I'm grateful for the 20 and I think the world will be a better place for it, right? Um, and Bitcoin will be successful because Bitcoin is, is sound. Just like a quick reminder that 20% of the global population right now would be about 1.6, a little bit less than that, uh, 1.6 billion people who would in theory Huge. then understand Bitcoin, which would be absurd. Yeah, Facebook has two and a half billion monthly users. So <laughs> I think I think we'll be just fine if the entire world is using Bitcoin. And, oh no, you can't disappear. Fuck, okay, I gotta go deal with the spider before it goes to hide somewhere. <laughs> uh, all right. I will, oh, that's all right, that's all right. I had to deal with my Chris, dog. Uh, Chris, I, I, I got a quick question, question Adam. Uh, great conversation as always. Actually, you're not the only person to say Bitcoin mining is kind of uh, anticlimactic. We had a Kano Alchemist on a few weeks ago, and he said, oh, aside yeah? from just basically putting in like, uh, I think it's your IP address or, or uh, routing it to to the um, to the pool, it's pretty easy after that. You're like, okay, yeah. what else do I do? So I guess I want to touch back on something that you said earlier that basically with the iteration of miners that we have, like basically it's it's very minimal or diminishing returns, the amount of, uh, I guess, efficiency we'll get in the miners. So to your point, do you think a lot of the innovation comes around finding stranded energy sources, finding the use for the heat, finding the use for, I don't know, sound as much as a use case, but I know a lot of people have cool things of using it to heat hot water heaters or using yeah, yeah. like, uh, dry mushrooms. I think Mags from uh, CoinKite was like using her AC oh, yeah. dry mushrooms and stuff. So I guess uh, if you want to expand on that at all. No, I think I think that's a that's a great point. Like, yeah, I've said it before. I think that the first decade of mining was all about squeezing the most out of the silicon, right? Getting the most out of a kilowatt hour, the most computational work, right? It's all about innovating at the ASIC. I hope, and what I think the second, you know, this decade of, of mining will be is, yes, people seeking out stranded and waste energy sources, right? Undervalued energy sources, but beyond that, I hope to see firmware, right? Like one beautiful thing about brains is, you know, I, I mean, there's not very many people out there doing it either, which is crazy is, you know, brains has, gives you this ability to, it, it makes your hardware better than it was nominally rated for, right? Either makes it more efficient um, or more powerful, right? Maybe it sacrifices some efficiency for power or it sacrifices some power for an increase in efficiency, right? Gives you some of that, that optionality. I hope to see, you know, competitors, right? I think it's really hard what brains is doing, but there's a massive reward. If you make a firmware that makes my ASIC 10% more efficient, 15% more efficient, and you incentivize me to join your pool, like watch me jump. <laughs> like like I, as a miner, watch me take that incentive and run with it. And so, yeah, this, this decade is going to be about get, I mean, honestly, I don't know if it's getting away from the grid, but it's getting, you know, it's pocketing in into the places in the grid, even at the residential level where power is cheap and wasted and going away from the grid to find waste of power. But then optimizing that, that long-term efficiency on the operation side, right? Like how do we reuse the heat? And so if we're drying mushrooms and part of our process is selling those mushrooms, like, well, like now we're subsidizing our own other operation over here, right? And so the just a matter of that marginal efficiency gain, right? Everyone's gonna try to be just a little bit more efficient where I think in the oil field, like, like I said earlier a little bit is one of the greatest use cases is, hey, build a greenhouse out in the middle of North Dakota and you can grow all winter. Right? You can use the ASICs to keep the thing warm. You can pump in carbon dioxide from the natural gas engine and give your plants a really dense carbon dioxide environment where they're going to have big plant yield. Like Alaska literally will pay you to come to Alaska and, and farm to try to do greenhouse farming and take risk doing that because they have, they have produce insecurity, right? Alaska doesn't produce enough of its own vegetables and fruits. 
massive opportunity. Guess what else they have? Tons of oil and gas and tons of wasted gas. And so these synergies will come together um, because like now it's, you know, not about getting that next ASIC in order to be profitable. It's about, hey, on a 10 year span, you know, at this level of computational efficiency, these are commoditized. Everybody's got the same tools. You know, who can compete? Guys with the best power. Guys with the best idea, I guess. Right? But that's that's a great point, Chris. Like, like it's worth it's worth mentioning how you can subsidize yourself just by increasing your own efficiency, right? Yeah, pretty much. I'll pass it over to Q&P. I think we got to wrap in the next four minutes or so. Yeah, Adam, I'll let you tell everyone how to stay up to date with you, how to, you know, hear about what else you got going on, where you're most active. Yeah, um, I'm Denver Bitcoin on Twitter, but definitely check out upstreamdata.ca. Um, that's our company's website where we, you know, we build enclosures for the oil field. We build engines for the oil field. We also build a, an enclosure for the backyard. Um, you know, back to what P said earlier a little bit, I want to give a, definitely give a shout out to, uh, to Rod Bitkite. He's, his handle is Bitkite on Twitter. If you're, if you're in Nashville, or you're going to be in Nashville, like definitely give him a follow. Um, I, I loved hanging out with, with Rod down in Nashville and listening to his, his kind of his vision of what he, what he hopes to help, you know, cultivate in that, in that city and, and to see how he's started to execute on it. I was, I was blown away and, and, you know, I'm, I'm one of the, one of the, the, biggest proponents of that meetup. That was, that was a really cool experience. Really cool to see. Um, you know, Odell's always just classic and, uh, uh, produces great content, but really, really excited to like, see how that, how that blows up. So definitely check him out beyond that. I'd say, you know, follow guys like Econo Alchemist, um, who on Twitter have, have gosh, produced so many free resources that have helped me. They may still help me. They'll help me tomorrow. Probably I'll have a problem where I'm going to turn to an Econo blog. So, Definitely check him out and the other guys at Upstream Data. So, other than that, I guess I'll I'll see you know, see people next time on the either at the next Bitcoin conference or on the next Bitcoin live stream, right? I mean, Amazing. Adam, I'm letting you know now you're going to be invited back. So just <laughs> just up, be prepared for like this. You're you're too great. You're awesome. We're gonna well, go catch a Dirty Heads show sometime, and I'm amped for that. Yeah, I, um, I think P I think P is one of the funniest human beings in this space. Um, like I, I sat in line to get some pulled pork with P for like, it was like an hour long line. And I was like rolling on the floor laughing. I didn't even realize how long I was waiting for food. Uh, so I'm always blessed to, to hang out with you, man. I always, I always get a kick out of uh, shooting the shit with you guys. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Always. Thanks again, dude.